attention architects, and creative minds. Get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. Context and Clarity has been called a community-based pro-practice masterclass for architects. It's awfully high praise, but since we began this journey back in April of 2020, we've certainly grown into a community of small firm architects, all focused on what matters most to their success. And by the way, it doesn't matter if you're the employee of a firm that's dreaming of going out on your own, or you've owned your own firm for 26 years. There's something here for everyone. And that's where you come in. Thanks for listening and welcome to the Context and Clarity Podcast. Every week, we have a conversation with an expert or a thought leader on things that matter most to the success of architects just like you. Then we go backstage with someone from our community and we talk about what we learned, what our biggest takeaways were, and how we're going to apply what we heard to our own businesses. In this episode, we talked to Matt Forger. He's one half of the husband and wife team at Five Architecture, and he and his wife, Kenya, are the founders of Sticks and Bricks. It's a creative place for children to explore architecture. Kenya's and Matt's individual stories begin with floor plans in the home section of the newspaper. I actually identify with that. And then they intersect in architecture school. They eventually encompass their growing family and finally pivot into entrepreneurism as the world shuts down during the global pandemic. From where I sit, Matt and Kenya's story is the story of entrepreneur architects. I hope you're inspired by this episode as much as we were by Matt and Kenya's story. For this episode, our backstage guests are Ithaca, New York architect, translator, and QAQC hawk, Christian Nielsen Palacios. His firm is Opus 2 MBE. And we're joined by Farmington, Michigan-based educator and architect Kenneth Crutcher of Crutcher Studio. I'm curious to hear their takeaways, so let's go backstage and listen in as my co-host Catherine McPhail, Christian, 
Kenneth and I all talk about our conversation with Matt Forget. So Christian and Ken, welcome backstage. Hello. Nice to be back here. Yeah, it's it's great to have you both here uh, with us backstage today. And um, I don't know about you, but I really enjoyed that conversation with Matt Forget today. Um, what what do you think? What are your biggest takeaways about that conversation? Oh, it, it was a lot of fun. It made me want to go buy some Legos and other toys and and uh, start creating that way, like I did in my childhood and youth. Yeah, you know that I used to love making stuff, and I even through architecture school, I had a reason to make stuff, so that was great. And then since now I'm practicing, I never make. I haven't made a physical model since probably. Um, I don't know, like 2002. So it's been 20 mm-hmm. years that I, I haven't made one. And, and Chris said in the comments, like, as a, I can decide that's what I do as part of my practice. But mm-hmm. realistically, I'm not going to, I don't have that kind of time. I, I, I was thinking the same thing. I miss, miss making models. And I've, I've got a couple of projects right now where I really wish I could sit down and build a model just to play around with it. And I just can't do it. And I can't hire somebody to do it because that's, that defeats the purpose. Yeah, right. Why would you want to hire someone? To... Yeah, yeah. It's it's that exploration, right? You've got to you've got to do yeah. the exploration itself. I remember seeing that um, documentary. I don't remember what it was called now, but it's quite a few years ago, I suppose. It was about Frank Gehry, and you got to see him design. And um, you know, there's that building. Uh, I think it was it was for the advertising agency or, originally. It's changed hands now, but he put the binoculars down and you know all this. That was mm. the the version of of that original model. But I remember whatever the project was, he took a piece of paper, right, and he crumpled it up and set it there, yeah. and that became that was the beginning of the exploration for that project. And I think to your point, whether you're Frank Gehry crumpling up pieces of paper and putting binoculars. Um, oh, maybe that's next. McDonald's. Maybe cut. McDonald's is next. Um, putting <laughs> binoculars on the table. I think it is about that exploration, right? So it would defeat the purpose. Exactly. I guess I can, I can appreciate I'm making the model pieces for, for the kits. It sounds like fun, but mm. for me, one of the, the, the enjoyable parts, I guess the most interesting part of building the model was actually making the parts. And I used to, in my youth, would do scale models, the military models and cars and things like that. And even though the kit came with all the pieces and parts, I would still make my own from the pieces and parts. Yeah. I did a whole series of, of spaceships where I took the pieces and parts from different models and put them together to make my own spaceships. Yeah. I think you're, I, you and I are the opposite on, on that regard because while I uh, understood the convenience and the uh, of doing a model while you were designing, I was pretty bad doing the final one, and, and they never looked good enough to me. So watching this, I said, boy, if I had had a laser cutter like he does, then I would enjoy it because I would get the accurate, perfectly cut things, and then, yeah. When I was at Yamasaki's office, that was one of the things this the intern I got to do is work in the model shop. And we were building these huge models that were shipped over to Saudi Arabia. And uh, now there's all this talk about laser cutters and 
CNC and all this stuff. We did that stuff by hand. And um, there was some intricate stuff that was done with casting. And even for casting, because we did actual brass casting pieces for some of the models, even that was done with a mold was done by hand and then sent out to be cast. So all this stuff of plexiglass and cutting and you know, using a table saw and bandsaw and those things to make these intricate models, you know, that was, uh, that's what I, how I learned to build models. And one of, one of the most interesting things I got to see was when Yama, when they moved the office, cleaned out the basement and they had staved the study models from the World Trade Center. And there was about five wow. or six different iterations because that building and all of his buildings were designed in model. So he did study models of everything. And there would be five or six different study models that were of the level, you know, we would call a finished model when we were in school, but these were, these were studies. He was just doing like a, a quick sketch kind of thing. That's amazing. You know, to think about what uh, what Kenya and Matt are doing with sticks and bricks, and the, you know they're 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 for ages seven and up, I think. I, I as I, I remember listening to them on the podcast with Mark LePage, episode three thirty three of the Entree Architect podcast. If you're interested, um, I think you know they've got their own test lab with three kids. And I think when they started this, the the middle or oldest was seven years old, and they realized that younger than that one, younger than that kid, it was too young, right? They 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 couldn't quite do all the things and grasp it all, and and so you know, doing it for kids that young, obviously, they weren't going to turn them loose with exacto knives, but <laughs> yeah. but uh, but I think you know, to your point about like the the finished models and. The World Trade Center. When Matt was talking about their their one of their next products coming out, it's a skyscraper. Uh, you know, as a kid that spent most of my childhood in and around Chicago, you know, where skyscrapers are to me, that's fascinating. You know, getting to getting to build um, one of those kits and kind of getting some rudimentary understanding of how things go together and um, how things yeah. are. Are proportioned. I, just, I I think the whole, the whole. I mean, it started out being called Archicamp. Now it's Sticks and Bricks. Um, they've rebranded at the end of of uh, last year, but uh, I think their whole concept is fascinating. What, what were those blocks that uh those those blocks that Frank Lloyd Wright said he grew up on? His um his mother gave him a set of blocks. There was a name for them. They're wooden blocks. I think they're still available. That's something he he was introduced to, and, and look look where it took him. I had plenty of Lego, which were way better than whatever Frank Lloyd Wright played with. But I, if it were because of that, I would have been the best architect in the world, and nobody would be talking about Frank Lloyd Wright, but about me. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah. but I I said this morning in in Clubhouse that I miss the old Lego sets that had a ton of pieces and, and just kind of inspirational pictures on the box, but no instructions. And you could make anything and, and be, just use your own imagination. Kids are creative by nature. They're inquisitive and, and curious by nature. And I think there's something to be said for just putting a tangible object in their hands and letting them build. Um, kids like Lego, you know, 
our my age children and young and older there's something to be said for like holding pieces in your hand and putting them together right that's that, that ability to make and kids are makers by nature they want to make stuff they want to create stuff whether it be a fort a comic book a something like they just want to create stuff they want to emulate things that they've seen so putting like the objects of building in their hands um, i think that's part of the reason why lego is so successful is that they're able to take those ideas that they have in their mind and somehow like quantify them into something that is built they can't build a building let's build a small version of it and now lego has made all these fancy things that e they even have these very expensive architectural things like i they have i don't know the empire state building and maybe the guggenheim and all that kind of stuff and i'm not interested in having those you know even though i love those buildings and stuff but to have a kit that the only thing you can make is a small replica of the empire state building that's not for me so i think what there's one thing we i do i do this uh, a workshop with a design workshop with some students and um we have them build models using sketchup and one of the things we stress as part of the design process and as we're playing around is that there's no wrong answer. You know, you want to come up with some ideas, you put this stuff together however you think you want to put it together. There's no wrong way to do it. There's no one way to do it. You can you can have fun and play with it. And I think those model kits, like Christian was talking about, that it's a bunch of Legos to make a certain thing, that doesn't give you the freedom. That, that makes it possible to have a wrong answer. If yeah, you don't follow yeah. directions, you yeah, I didn't realize what was bothered me about that, but that's it. You have to do it that one particular way with those thousand blocks, each yeah. one in the right place or else it's wrong, you know, so I don't like not, that. Not, now I want to go buy one of those kits at the Guggenheim and the, uh, maybe the, the Washington Monument or something like that. Put mash, them together up. And ma mash them up. <laughs> yeah, it would be fun. <laughs> I've got a nephew that's into cars. And so he gets the, it's the, it's the same as the architectures, except it's for exotic cars. And they're, I don't know what the scale is They're They end up being a large model. And so he goes through, it's exactly as you described, there's one way to do it, right? You build this Lamborghini or this truck or whatever it is that, that the kid is for. What he has started doing to his credit is he's gone out looking for, other blocks where he can modify the car. So he, he, you know, he's taking it to another level, but I don't think that's terribly common. I think, Oh, I, I built the thing and, and now there it is. I, I looked up the Frank Lloyd Wright blocks and yeah. apologies to any of you that are German speakers because I'm about to butcher this, but they're called Froebel. I'm going to say Oh yeah, the maple, wood blocks are in my fingers to this day, said Frank Lloyd Wright, attesting to the influence of the Froebel blocks on his work. I think uh, also one of the things that I liked about today's uh, session was that this week we were talking about how to engage people in, in into understanding architecture and what we do. And I think uh, Matt and uh, his wife are doing things the, the right way, I'm, I'm guessing, because I think we as architects, we tend to create content, whether it's blogs or articles or podcasts, with a few exceptions, that we love and they are of interest to us, but probably not to the general public and much less for children. 
like if I can mention, uh, you know, Mark LePage's uh, podcast with Patrick McLamey, it may be one of my all-time favorites. I, I love that podcast. But my wife, my sons, my future grandsons, they probably couldn't care less about that stuff. And, uh, you know, tr trying to bring the the new generations and the general public into our world and understand what we do uh, involves a conscious effort. You know, I, I remember with uh, talking at the table after lunch with uh, my family and if my sister Margarita and I were using any architectural jargon, they, they would object and they would say, come on, use regular language and stuff like that. Stop that stuff that only you guys can understand. And uh, we, we tend to forget that. That's a really important lesson. And I do think, I think you're exactly right. I think they're doing it right. There, there's so many levels. And I know I said this when we were talking to Matt, but, you know, a kid gets, a, gets one of these kits and they start putting together the, the A-frame house or the hut or the skyscraper that's coming soon or whatever it is. And they, they get a sense of accomplishment. They get some sense of how materials fit together. They get a sense of scale and proportion. Um, they may become more aware of their surroundings. Oh, this is, this is what that is, or this is why that is that way. I think there's, there's so many layers of things that they can learn. And I, I don't, if, if one of them becomes an architect, fantastic. If none of them do, no problem, because I think they're at the very least, they're probably more aware of materiality, of, of space, of, of the function of, of building and design and, and cities, depending on what all they work on, than they would have been. Years ago, I worked on, um, on a lot of what we would call T&D, traditional neighborhood design, new urbanists, uh, land plans, and, and things like this. And I always enjoyed that because I, my, both my parents were from farms, but I've spent my entire life basically in the city, Atlanta or Chicago, now Indianapolis. I live five miles from the center of the city. And we would design these projects to basically emulate city neighborhoods, right? Walkable communities and density and things like that. And I, it used to always bother me because I, I was looking at it with sprawl and everything uh, that happens, thinking about the fact that most of the students going to architecture school, if that's where they were headed, probably never grew up in a, in a walkable community. They're in some suburban whatever, and they don't understand walkable, walkability or urban or, you know, these, these relationships to the street and things like that. There are some things that are being lost that I think that with these models, again, whether you become an architect or a planner or anything or not, I think there's a there's an inherent benefit to society. That sounds very stilted, but I think there's a benefit to society by having activities like this. I, I agree. It's like you you make you're not necessarily making an architect, but you're making a better better client possibly, mm -hmm. yeah, but also exactly. like you said, a better better citizen, yes. somebody who appreciates 
you know, appreciates the community, appreciates things about about the built environment. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and I the think better, there's some better planning commissioners. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe so. But I think that tangible, we talked about this this morning. Will Legos go away because of metaverse and, or, or not, we weren't really talking about metaverse. We we're talking about Roblox and Minecraft. I don't think they do. I no, think there's, there's something about the tangible, you know, holding things and fitting things together. And, you know, in Matt and Kenya's models, fitting the basswood pieces together uh, that you can't replace that mm. with clicks of a mouse or, you know, yep. swipes of your thumb on the, I, I I hope so. I I'm I was thinking a few seconds ago about the last model I made. It was during my graduate school years at Cornell. One of my professors was a guy named Christian Otto, and his specialty was Baroque architecture. One one of his specialties, and specifically a guy named Balthasar Neumann from Germany, who designed all these fantastic Baroque buildings, and one of them was a little chapel. I don't remember the location or whatever, but uh, it was all about how he used light to, to do it, you know, to uh, as an element, just like stone or brick or whatever. And that on, on the day of St. Michael's or something, the, the light would come through a certain window and hit the statue of St. Michael's inside the church. And I thought that was great. And it's the kind of thing that you can't just read about to to understand it so i did a project that was creating like a little very simplified model of the inside of that uh church with wood and plaster and whatever so i could get the vaults and then putting a camera under the thing so so the model was put on a piece of glass and i had a camera under it and then i created uh, a system where you could move uh a light to shine through the openings according to the time of year. And uh, people loved what I did. And I thought it was also a relatively ugly model, but uh, it took me two months to do this project. And I think 80% of the members of Anter Architect could do the same thing now in 45 minutes with SketchUp. And, uh, you know, and that's where my fear is based on the comments this morning that maybe children are just going to want to build Legos without having physical Legos and just use an app on their tablets or something. I don't know. I mean, I think people, I think people just build out of whatever they have in front of them, you know, like dinner, mashed potatoes and some other stuff. You can assemble it, or at least my kids assemble it into how many times were we told not to play with our food? I think that's what we were doing. We were just building stuff. I just think, I mean, it's kind of similar to the argument that uh, people have about hand drawing versus computer drawing. And they're afraid that now there will be no soul in drawing. And I just don't see that happening. I mean, people still draw and they make beautiful drawings by hand if they are those types of people. Yeah, I agree. If you give, if you, if you put the soul into the work, it's going to come, it's going to go into the work no matter what tool you use. I think that, 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 te- that technology has changed a lot, obviously, in 20 years, 40 years, 50 years. But it just creates new, exciting things like the whole metaverse that we're going to be talking about later. But anyway, it's not the same old thing, but we can still do the same old thing if we want to. I, was, I think the model building aspect of it and part of engaging with the clients and engaging with the public, that's something that 
I think crosses over that technology hurdle. Um, because I find that even in the computer generated models, they're either printed out on paper or they're on screen. And a lot of people still can't grasp it like they would, uh, you know, a pile of sticks and paper on Mm -hmm. a desk. And I think that makes a big, big difference. Oh, it absolutely does. Yeah. Inhabiting a model, like with your eyes and leaning down and looking through the windows and things, it is a totally different thing than the computer model. There's some people that just aren't, aren't, they're just not graphically literate. Mm, Yeah. Now, arguably you could use VR glasses, but it's, it it comes down to the immersiveness, right? If, if I have a physical model, like you said, I can bend down or I can lift it up and I can look at it or, you know, in, in Christian's example, you know, the light moving can show me the year, right. Of, of the, uh, of how the light uh, which which is fascinating. Hopefully that inspires people to go see the real thing. You know, if they see it in SketchUp or explore it further. But I, but I think it's eventually it comes down to, because we're not ever, like you said, Ken, not everybody is graphically literate. Um, I think it comes down to how immersive is it, right? Okay, this is simple. I can hold this up and I can look in it and I can spin it around and you you all probably had a professor too that liked to turn it upside down and say well oh, if it yeah. was upside down you know that kind of thing <laughs> <laughs> but but uh but i but i do know of architects who have committed themselves to every conversation i'll say with clients every presentation to clients is through vr glasses you know which is still digital but theoretically uh, as long as it doesn't make you sick, um, some people don't react well to them. But physic is is uh, virtually immersive, so it's it's more like you know having having a physical thing, but in a virtual world. But still, I I I can't see, I cannot see. Well, put it this way: if it ever does replace the Legos and and all these other things, then we be then we're to that scene in the movie Wally where we're all just these big fat half naked people with VR glasses and in beach chairs on some spaceship somewhere. Yeah. What's what's yeah. wrong with that? <laughs> I, I didn't say there was anything wrong with it. I'm just saying that's, <laughs> that that's the eventuality. Like <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, but some people still insist on going out for hikes because there's still some people who'd rather do that. Sure. You know, also, it's just completely unrealistic for me to build a model of, it takes me 10 hours to build a virtual model of someone's house. And then I start designing, you know, on that. But if I were to build a physical model, it would take me, it depends on the model, right? Christian, how long did it take you two weeks to do that church? Um, more than that, probably, but yeah. Yeah, it just takes a, a long time if you want to have a nice model. And then trying to use that as the base, and you have to think about how am I going to keep taking things on and off of this base? And then you have to cut things out, like you said, Ken, and then make a new one. I don't know. It's just like so, so time consuming that for renovations, it'll be hard. Well, I think that's something I've come to realize now that there's of different types of people in this world. Some mm-hmm. people in making a trip, some people are interested in the destination. And some people are interested in the trip mm-hmm. and then the journey. And, and the I journey, think, yes. And doing the model building as an exercise, part of the design process is part of that journey. Yeah, for And sure. for some, 
building that finished model of the finished thing after you've got everything worked out, that's just getting to the end of the trip. So that's like, you know, taking a teleportation device where you get from A to B and you just see what's there. Um, but building a model, building the study model, building a series of models, iterations of models, putting it together, taking it apart, trying different pieces, that's part of the journey of you know, just going down the road and you may not even know where the destination is. It's just, that's, you know, part of the, the experience of just, you know, making the journey. Right, but that's for you, not for your client, right? I mean, you get right. something out of that. Like, I can't, I couldn't show most of my sketch models because I, once I figured out some part of it, it, I just wouldn't finish the rest of it because I wasn't interested in just finishing it because that wasn't the point. Right. And I think that's the difference. A lot of clients, they want the solution. Right. And, you know, a lot of designers, we like, and maybe folks like me, or maybe I'm not, maybe I'm alone in this, but, you know, the experience of going through the iterations and getting to these, to the solution mm-hmm. is as much enjoyment as, as getting to the, as the final solution is. Okay, this is this is not the topic of the day, but I'm I've got to run with that because when when clients are just looking for the solution and we allow them to just look for to just value the solution, I think the demonstration of your value as an architect is probably mostly in the journey. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, there are stylistic decisions and you may be hired. Oh, I, I love, I love, uh, Ken's, you, you know, his, the style of the homes or, you know, something like that or Calatrava or Zaha, whatever, right. There may, there are people that value that, but, but I think the true, the true value of an architect is in that journey, right. The solving mm-hmm. of the problems, the reacting, uh, all of those things. So that, that would be, my question or my pushback on that is should, because ultimately this is all about communication. Should we take them along the journey with the the sketch models, the study models, you know, you start working on something, you figure it out. Okay. Well, there it is. There's a solution for this part of it. And then next week we start over with a different model or, you know, we add pieces on or pull pieces off. I, I think to me, that's, that's kind of fascinating, right? The, and and I I don't do architecture anymore, right? I I do uh, the marketing, the branding, the the wordsmithing, all all of those types of things. I think there's some value to letting our clients see and feel and realize how messy the process is, because they look at it. You know, I could if if I sit with a client, we're talking about something we're we're working on a tagline, let's just say for their, their homepage of their website. If I, if I blurt something out instantaneously that they love, right? It's just an epiphany. It comes to me and I blurt it out in 15 seconds. What is the natural reaction? I'm paying you too much. Yeah. Why, why did that cost me $10,000? That took 10 seconds. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But when we when we go through the process, not not that we're not that I'm advocating for faking anything or, you know, being inauthentic or anything like that, but when you when they go through the process and they see the iterations and they um I, I think I think dragging <laughs> dragging them down into the mud with you, uh I think mm-hmm. I think there's some value to that. Yeah, I well, the, the other thing is that being in the mud is the fun part of the 
process. So I agree. I, I absolutely agree. To say, you know, if you already have the design that you got from a magazine or something and you just want me to do the drawings, I'll charge you more because you took all the fun part away from the thing, you know? I like that approach. Yeah, that's true. I might try that one, Christian. <laughs> um, uh, the way the way I present the projects is is kind of going through my process where I say this is what like right now I'm working on this builder house that need they want it to be a nice house but it's a builder house so anyway but there's this whole tumbleweed area in the middle you know how they builders they just have this area that has nothing in it between the kitchen and the and it's huge it's like the size of my house footprint anyway so um so I would look say this is the problem and this is what I'm trying I'm trying to solve these problems and this is an one answer and it stinks. I don't like this answer. And so then I, you know, show them progressively which one I do like, but there are elements of all of them. I like a little, and, you know, so yeah, I always, I always, I always do that, but I can feel I'm getting disappointed and pulling their disappointment way down. And then, and then they're excited later. You can't just I, go I think for that thing. I think uh, Thomas Edison is the one that figured it out or just illustrated that um, talking about the light bulb, you know, mm -hmm. which he stole simple, from someone simple. else, but Anyway. Right. <laughs> it was a simple solution, but he said we got this way, but now I, I know there's this one way it works, but now I, know, I know what a thousand ways that it doesn't work. Yeah. And that's kind of what we go through with the design process is going through all those iterations of stuff that doesn't work. Yeah. And you got to work it out. And even if, if the, sometimes it's the client's idea to say, hey, I want to I do something this way, you've got to go through the illustration of this is why it doesn't work right. to get to the, something that does work. But most clients, they just want to get that the done they want the end product they don't want to go along the ride i say they they want to have the experience and they want to have the memories of playing in the mud without getting their hands dirty i think that's a fair point yeah yeah so you you bring that back to the models that uh kenya and matt create for sticks and bricks which they they are they're creating them all individually one one at a time as they're ordered apparently um so inter interesting, uh, and it'll, I think it'll be super interesting to watch how that business grows and how it evolves and how it progresses. This is what we need to do. This is how we need to serve um, both ourselves initially and ultimately many other people, many other children um, with an activity to keep them busy and, and why not give them an opportunity to learn about architecture, our passion, um, which is something that we didn't get the opportunity to do as children. Um, at you know middle school age, did we see the newspaper with the floor plans? But before that, there was no exposure to it. And we said, well, what, what and how can we do this and create something for them? And so we came up with Five Archicamp, which was a, a spin-off naming of Five Architecture. Um, the Five and Five Architecture is resemblant of our family, which is you know, part of our, our basis of balancing our family and our business, and it's all one. And uh, we created five Archicamp, and the word camp was one of those that we felt like it was important to give kids an option to have an activity to do or have something that could keep them focused. And in the early stages, it was a multi-day process of building a model, an architectural model, ones that we would build in college, um, but we were tailoring it to kids that were seven and up and, and they can definitely glue, they can definitely cut. And we figured out a way to create something that hadn't been created before, which was an architectural model building kit for kids. 
Um, you know, so the model that you spent hours and hours building in college, we've packaged up in a way that they could do it on their own. Um, we had video instruction and we would walk them through the steps um, in one hour chunks over the course of a few days to go from a bag of parts to a finished architectural model. I love the fact that they do have this feedback loop and Matt talked about the fact that they originally, the original models back when they called it ArcaCamp were finished things. You buy this model, you put this thing together and now there's room for exploration and creativity. So I love that. And I, I think, you know, along the lines of what you're talking about with, uh, the exploration and the design process with your clients. Um, maybe, maybe that this latest version with the kids is partially that they get to explore the design process. And like you said, Ken earlier, these may create better clients, if not architects or something like that. Um, but just, just fascinated and, and really, uh, really, inspired, I guess, by, by their story. Mm. And fun, a fun job for them. Cause they get to design all the new projects. So yeah, I think that would be fun. Well, I, I remember at the last place that I worked at, there was this uh, set of schematic design drawings. I think they were drawn on praise on the wall. And I, don't think it ever got built and I never met the, the clients, but everything was his and hers. These people had his and hers bathroom, his and hers office or study, and his and hers kitchen. And to me, that was a dream come true. I would love a house that sounds great. with two kitchens. <laughs> no, <laughs> and I, I, I think they're doing a great thing with their camp. They said they started it when they realized they needed something for their kids to do during the summer. Yeah. I think that's where the name and inspiration came from, but I don't think it was ever just summer camp, but, but that was, that was the problem they were solving. Certainly was as school was shutting down. Oh my gosh. What are you, if you, if you listen to the, their interview on the entree architect, um, podcast. I think Kenya talks about the fact that, you know, they had the kids signed up for all kinds of things through the summer. Everything was, was shutting down and it was, you know, it was that realization that a lot of parents has, what, what are we going to do? But I think to, to me personally, the, the takeaway is that if we want to engage the general public, the non-architects, whether they are adults or children, we have to go to where they are. We have to go to their level, get down on the carpet and, and play with them and not try to drag them into our world. And, and uh, uh, I think they're doing a, a great job in that. I mean, the, I'm sure the results will take years to uh, be evident, but I, I did like their approach. I, I think that is a fantastic takeaway. Get down on their level. If that means it's the carpet, it's the carpet. Architecture on the carpet. What is that? <laughs> That's who, the, who wrote that? 
It's a book that uh, it's written by Brenda and Robert Vale. And it's uh, the subtitle is The Curious Tale of Construction Toys and the Genesis of Modern Buildings. Hmm. That's interesting. That sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. Sounds like Matt and Kenny ought to be in that book. Well, what did you think? Did you hear something in there that you can use in your practice today? If you were so inspired by this conversation that you'd like to watch the entire Context and Clarity Live episode, head on over to the Entree Architect YouTube channel. There's a playlist there that has all of the full Context and Clarity Live episodes. And if you want more of the Context and Clarity podcast delivered to you every week, give us a thumbs up and subscribe wherever you consume podcasts. If you like content like this, check out Gable Media. It's a multimedia network for people that care about the built environment, and it's the home of Context and Clarity. With Gable's growing family of podcasts and video channels, I know you'll find something there that interests you. You can learn more at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And one last thing before you go. If the topic of today's episode is of particular interest to you, join me over on Facebook today at 4 p.m. Eastern inside the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. That's where every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern, I host Context and Clarity Conversations, and we take topics like this, and we dig deeper. We have a conversation in real time to try to find more clarity around the things that matter most to you. So thanks for listening. I hope our time together has inspired you to think about your community and your practice and how you can support those around you. We'll be back here again next week. And in the meantime, I hope you'll join me and the Entree Architect community on Facebook today at 4 p.m. Eastern so that we can help each other find more clarity around the topics that matter most, no matter what your context is. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us. Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it.
It's hot. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.